Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com. And welcome to Overnight America. Hey, how about that? We are in for the night, and we're going to get a lot of stuff covered on the show tonight, including our friend Rich Rubino. You do a Monday interview with him, and he's coming up in about 10 minutes, author of American Politics on the Rocks. Do you want to talk about the tiny houses that are going up in St. Louis? Kind of an interesting story there. I got to see a video from KMOV where they were putting those things up. And later in the show, too, we're going to talk UFOs with our friend Dave Scott from Spaced Out Radio. I don't know if you saw this one story floating around, but the former head of Israel's space program said the aliens asked not to be revealed. Humanity not ready yet. Oh, a head of a space agency talking about aliens. Of course, I called my friend Dave Scott up for that one. Well, Dave is uh, just one person that follows these things. I know there's a lot of other people that follow it. You know, today is one of those dates that will always be remembered in American history. And I really hope I... I'm not proven to that line's proven to be untrue because you get worried that after amount of time has passed that people seem to forget about things that happened many years ago, including the state in history in Pearl Harbor. Now, the famous speech, the day which will live in infamy was then given, I think, the day after as FDR went um, after he heard the news to travel to Congress and get all of that done. And there was a little bit of difference in time there. Keep in mind, it was 1941. It's not as easy to get around back then. And shortly after the Japanese bombers attacked Pearl Harbor, there was all kinds of reports that started to come in. There was one part in American history I wanted to relive with you. And this is something I discovered today that I have never heard in American history before. I have heard different news reports that occurred after the started to get the word around of what was going on down in Pearl Harbor. But then I didn't realize that there was one report that came in as the uh, attacks on Pearl Harbor were occurring. And then something after that, uh, I'm alluding to, I think you'll find it quite interesting. Let me do this real quick. Okay, so it's kind of hard to hear this. So I'm going to give you a a warning. So I might not play this whole thing, but it'll kind of give you an illustration of based on the technology, Keep in mind, it's 1941, using telephones. 
KGU was a affiliate of the NBC radio network. This is, of course, you know, a long, long time ago. And KGU Honolulu was there to witness the Pearl Harbor bombings. And as he was standing, the one reporter who went unnamed, they don't exactly know who that reporter is. As the reporter was standing and witnessing this, was giving play-by-play to the network, which was NBC at the time. And it sounded a little something like this. So he he goes on to say that, uh, you know, you sometimes forget about this because in the movies or in the way it's depicted, it always shows the Japanese bombers dropping on the ships, the military in the bay. Well, what you would normally see in you don't really think about them going inland and starting to bomb certain things. So there was a KGU radio tower. They said a bomb was dropped. They said 50 feet away from it, almost took it out and. He starts describing this, and as he's describing it, he's saying that this is no joke. This is war. This is no joke. This is war. They start talking about from the roof of the Honolulu office, significant damage, witnessing as it's still a very active situation, and went on to say that it's a very severe attack. The Navy and Army appear to have be in the air. They have the sea under control. And then this happens, and I'll say I've never heard this as part of American history play out. Now, this is at the end of his report as he's calling into NBC. It's coming up close to about a minute and a half, a minute and 45 seconds in. It's a little bit hard to hear, so I'll read it for you um, if you can't understand. then it was cut off. Okay, if you missed that, as he was giving his report, and as this was being reported through the NBC network, the operator of the telephone company kicked in and said, this is the telephone company. This is the operator. The reporter says, yes. Operator says, we have quite a big call, an emergency call. And the reporter said, we're talking to New York now. And that was pretty much the end. The reporter, as he was giving his report into the network, got cut off because, well, keep in mind, it's 1941 and there's only so many lines that go, I'm sure, from Hawaii to the mainland. And as it was an emergency call, I'm sure it could have been military or whatever it may be necessary to reach it in. (laughs) The reporter was cut off. (laughs) I don't know why that's funny. I just that's the first time I've ever heard that. And it goes to show you, too, how times have changed so much, hasn't it? Oh, oh, how the times have changed. I think that the speech today, 
which will live in infamy, the speech that was declaring that we are going to be entering into war was such a significant part. And if you think about the most famous speeches in American history of all time, you have JFK, yes, not what your country could do for you. It would be hard pressed to think of a speech outside of the JFK speech that is more recognizable than a date which will live in infamy. That one line by itself. Just before 8 a.m. on Sunday, December 7th, 1941, hundreds of Japanese planes made that surprise raid. It really took a nation, which was the United States, some of which offered support in World War II, but not an active role, really put it into an active role and changed the course of history. Um, and, And don't forget, too, the events that happened after that. By the way, if you're not familiar with some of the absolute terrible war criminals that uh, the war crimes that Japan was committing during World War II, I would encourage you to go search for those and see that for yourself. They were doing some pretty terrible things as a nation. And these are some things that people forget about too. And them being held accountable afterwards for it all. There are some pretty horrible crimes they were committing as a country. So look that up too. the Japanese war crimes during World War II. There was a lot that was going on around that time. A lot of forgotten history. It's in you know, understandable that you'd forget about the one radio report that was going over the air that somehow was swept under the rug when the operator kicked him off. (laughs) There was enough to worry about. You forget about that little piece of history. Maybe I just should take a moment here as uh, it is Pearl Harbor Day to remind you that you live in the greatest country in the world. We've, We've done amazing things and continue to do amazing things. And I don't think there's been any other country in the history of the world that has been able to do as much to contribute to the world than the United States of America. And I'm still very proud to be an American and God bless the United States. So coming up in a few minutes, Rich Rubino is going to join us, author of American Politics on the Rocks. He joins us every Monday. I look forward to it. It's Overnight America, KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. Overnight America is live with you tonight as we are each weeknight, at least from 8 to midnight, then midnight to 2 is the replay portion of it, and I hope that you can enjoy the download. Ryan Recker Radio, you can find it on there, including this interview that we do on Mondays. It's our friend Rich Rubino, author of American Politics on the Rocks. How are you, Rich? I'm doing well, Ryan. How are you? Doing all right. We're getting close to the end of the year, and we start to wrap things up. Things start to slow down, but I don't think this is the type of year where things slow down towards the end no, of the year. No, this is perpetual. <laughs> no, it's, um, <laughs> it's going to be a huge news cycle and election cycle, and it's really a perpetual election cycle, and it's really kind of never-ending. It's like Groundhog Day. So you were watching the Georgia Senate debates last night? I was. <laughs> yeah, it was fascinating. Um, so you're always taught to stay on message, message discipline. Um, you know, sometimes it works. For example, when George W. Bush is running for governor of Texas in 1994, Ann Richards would go on and she'd talk as elaborate about Texas is this, Texas is that, Texas was the inc- Ann Richards was the incumbent governor, and George W. Bush was taught a few talking points. He said, no matter what the basically, even if they talk about his dealings with Tarkin Energy, he would say essentially, yeah, but what's really important is our children need to read how to read. We need welfare reform. We need juvenile justice reform, and we need and we need tort reform. And it worked. The next day, people remembered those because those were four very there were those were four issues that poll tested very high with Texas voters, and George W. Bush ended up winning, even though Richards had a sixty percent personal job approval rating. So what happened yesterday? 
Well, the Senator Kelly Loeffler, she's the incumbent member of Georgia Senate. She's serving the, the, expi- the unexpired term of Johnny Isaacson. Johnny Isaacson um, had an infirmity, so he had to resign. So she was appointed by Republican Governor Brian Kemp. So now she's trying to serve out the full term. And it was just fascinating in that she said 13 times about her opponent, Raphael Warnock, she said, my, my opponent, radical liberal Raphael Warnock, radical liberal Raphael Warnock. And she said it 13 times, and she became a caricature of a politician who's kind of like a wind-up doll um, that just has these few um, talking points. The other thing she would say occasionally, she would say he wants to, you know, he wants to defund the police. Um, he'd bring up, she'd bring up these certain issues, and it really, it, it's a very interesting debate. On the one hand, people now remember the fact that she said Raphael, Raphael Warnock, radical liberal Raphael Warnock, and actually is somehow getting into people's subconsciousness, the suburban voters, the Biden Republicans, for example, people who may have voted for Joe Biden at the presidential level, but then at other levels may have normally voted Republican folks in places like, you know, Marietta, Georgia, um, kind of the suburbs. And they might be looking, but say, is this guy really radically liberal? On the other side, it really makes the case, you know, does she have a personality of her own? Does she have issues of her own? Where does she want to take the state of Georgia? Or is she just have three or four lines that she's just going to repeat ad nauseum? So it's an interesting controversy. Um, but certainly I think she's going to be caricatured. This is the one debate they had, and she, this is going to be caricatured, you know, ad nauseum because it was just so um, – she was just so on point. No matter what they would ask, she wouldn't even look at him. She would just say, radical liberal Raphael Warnick. Stay on point. It's almost like um, when you're playing sports, you got to get back to the fundamentals. So you you just stay yeah. to the <laughs> script after a while, something like that. But overall, it's still kind of weird, you know, the runoffs and the laws that regarding that, because it's just not it's not something that's done everywhere. You just don't see it all that often. Well, yeah, what, what it is. So when under Georgia law and you have this in other states like Mississippi, for example, essentially, if a candidate, so if, if, if in the first if the, the first election, if a candidate garners 50% or more, they automatically get elected. If they don't, then you have a runoff election. And you had, um, you know, you, in, the, in the runoff election, which you're having both times this, around, this time, but you're having a runoff election, you're having two elections. The reason is the first senator, David Perdue, so he was elected in 2014, the first time he was elected. Now he's up for re-election. He did not garner 50% in the, um, in the, in the original election, because there was a libertarian on the ballot. So he garnered about 49%. So now he's in a runoff against the Democratic nominee, uh, John Ossoff. So they're now running essentially a separate election, meaning that any candidate is going to garner 50% of the vote, and there will be a majority. This is what they do in Georgia law. Uh, this, in the past, for example, you go back to you know Lester Maddox, who was elected governor of Georgia in a runoff. Um, so you've had, this in the, you've had this in the past. Sometimes it becomes interesting because um, it's the last election, so everyone focuses on it back in 1992. After Bill Clinton had won, had won, um, had won, had been elected president, and he won the state of Georgia, there was another election, and White Fowler, the incumbent who did not garner 50 percent in the original election, was running against Paul Coverdell. Clinton went to Georgia, campaigned for him, um, and then Republican Paul Coverdell ended up winning. But it just garnered a lot of attention because it's kind of the only game in town, if you will. So this time around, you get two races in Georgia. The first one being Purdue, which is just simply running for re-election. And the other one is the fact that, you know, you have a kind of this anomaly circumstance because Republican Johnny Isaacson had to resign. So under Georgia law, um, the person that kind of the person that's filled in it, that comes in as a successor is not serve. It does not serve the entire term and then run for reelection. They serve until the next election, which and then the next election, then they run again in 2020. So you have two elections in Georgia. 
It's the only thing anyone is going to be focused on between now and January 5th. You're going to see every Republican that's even thinking of ever running for president in 2024, 2028, 2032 is going to go down to Georgia so they can say that, you know, they've got their chops there. So they've, they've done everything they could to help the party. On the Democratic side, Joe Biden vitally needs a majority, assuming he's going to serve and he's going to be he's going to assume the presidency in 2020 in 2021. And in order for him to get that majority, he needs the um, he needs the both of those two seats. So he's going to spend some time campaigning there. Barack Obama is virtually campaigned there. Um, so the fact that Georgia does have a runoff election, I guess, is certainly great for the uh, television stations in Georgia because they're going to make a lot of money <laughs> off of this. No kidding. They must be running nonstop ads. When there's election season and you're in a contested state, I know what it's like working at a radio station or TV, for that matter, is that they get the buys and every single commercial break has a political ad in it. They buy every break out. Yes. It's like the maximum. And you get so tired of hearing those things. And then the day after the election, your inventory is like cut in half because they purchased all of all of the inventory <laughs> leading up to it. And that's just the way it goes. All right. So that's what's going down in Georgia. When is the actual election there, the runoff election? It's well, this is this is going to be on January 5th. And this is going to be both Senate seats are going to be up on January 5th. And if the Democrats win both of them, they then have it's the, 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 the Senate becomes 50-50, and Senator Harris, um, Vice President Harris, would be able to break the tie. If they win, if they win zero seats or one seat, then Mitch McConnell is still uh, hegemonic in the United States Senate. Interesting. Well, who would take the? Uh, would Mitch McConnell still be in power? Or what exactly happens when it's fifty-fifty? When it's fifty-fifty, yeah. When it's fifty-fifty, the party that holds the presidency. Because they have the vice presidency, and the vice president is the, the vice president. He's actually, believe it or not, the vice president is actually paid by the United States Senate. They're not paid as an executive. So they're actually, in many respects, they're not actually senators. I mean, they can't vote on regular legislation. They only vote in the case of a tie. But with the party that holds the vice presidency, will hold, will be in, will, will be in power. So if there's 50-50, Mitch McConnell becomes minority leader. Unless, I mean, this isn't going to happen, but theoretically, if Mitch McConnell could get a few Democrats to vote for him to become majority leader, then yeah, you're right. Then there's a possibility that that could actually happen, that he could serve as majority leader with, a, with, the, um, with Senator Harris as vice president. But that's not going to happen for all practical purposes. Ah, you know, I, I'm trying to think back in the past couple of years. Did Vice President Pence cast any votes? Because I remember the yeah. night when they thought he would be the tiebreaker and you had... Um, uh, John McCain come out and give the thumbs down, which ultimately yeah. meant there wasn't a need for a tiebreaker. I can't remember. Did Pence actually vote in the Senate this year? Yeah, less, there's, been, this there's been a few. One of them was uh, Betsy DeVoe, um, DeVoe for uh, Education Secretary. The first time a cabinet secretary was actually broke, the tie was actually broken, I believe, by an incumbent uh, vice president. By the way, there's nothing that says the vice president has to vote the same way as the president. I mean, you know, obviously, though, he would get kind of a lot of wrath if Mike Pence voted the opposite way, but theoretically he's an independent agent and he has a vote just like any other senator when it comes to a tie. So if the vice president were to vote against the president's policies, he certainly has autonomy to do that. Hmm. It's kind of interesting. What what was it that Joe Biden said last week during that CNN interview? If I disagree with Kamala Harris, then I'll just resign. I'll make up a disease and resign or something like that. So maybe that comes down to a tiebreaker. They come to a disagreement and then ultimately she votes in the opposite way as a disagreement. He resigns, as he said he would. Uh, of What a bizarre world we'd be living in at that. Oh, absolutely. Well, <laughs> that reminds me so. of when it reminds me actually interesting when so when Harry Truman came in in 1940, he comes in in 1945 and in 1946, he loses the House and he loses the Senate. And William Fulbright, the senator from Arkansas, 
the guy who Bill Clinton actually worked for, his mentor, um, he came up with this plan, and he said that since the Republicans won both houses, he was a Democrat, by the way, won both the House and the Senate, therefore it's time that the Re- and Harry Truman resign, resign the presidency. At the time, they had, um, they had no... Uh, at the time, they had no vice presidency. So then, they would, essentially, it would go to the Republican. Uh, it would go to the Republicans. Republicans would then become the uh, would become. Oh no, I'm sorry. This was actually 1950 after the Republicans both won both the House and the Senate. So you had Truman. Truman would resign. Then Albert Barkley, the other Democrat, would resign. Then it would go, and the Republicans would essentially take over the presidency. And um, so we had this plan. And then Truman landed up said that uh, Senator Fulbright is Senator Halfbright. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. Oh man, that goes. That's um, that's major back in 1950 or whatever. That you say something like that. Um, okay. Do you mind holding on after the break? I'd love to talk a little bit sure. more about some of the things that are going on. And if people wanted to find you online, what's the best website for them to go to? Yep, just go to Twitter, Rich Rubino, R U B I N O Paul, or go to Facebook, Rich last name R U B I N O, or you can certainly go to um, go to www.polita-geek.com. Perfect. We'll continue with Rich Rabino, author of American Politics on the Rocks, coming up right after the break on Overnight America KMOX. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast t-mobile has invested billions to light up america's largest 5g network from big cities to small towns including right here in yours and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. They're playing basketball. Get ready for Billiken's basketball as they take on Central Arkansas tomorrow night. Get it up. Mike, the runner! Yes! Let's go! 
640, tip off at 7. Hear it here on your voice for Billikens basketball, KMOX. And Overnight America continues with our guest, Rich Rubino, author of American Politics on the Rocks, polito-geek.com. It's uh, interesting times. I'm watching every day. There's another update somewhere about the election, some of the yes. challenges in different states, things like that. We hear about certification, not certification. Okay, are they going to step in and force it? Are they not going to force it? And then the question is the possibility of faithless electors, which is in a different uh, stance than I thought it would be before the election. I thought what we could be reaching towards is what if Donald Trump was reelected and the faithless electors step in, it was a close race and they tried to overturn that side of it. But now they're looking at it the other way around. What if there are faithless electors in states that try to change things around in Donald Trump's favor? And I was wondering if we might be able to talk about that possibility. Yeah, I think that it's pretty much a null set. It's pretty much about as slim as you possibly can get. Um, Remember, I mean, so there are some states that have laws where, for example, you might find somebody, a faithless elector is basically somebody, well, let's put it this way, when you're going to vote, you're not voting directly for a candidate A, you're voting for an elector, a group of electors who the party basically chooses that are then going to go and they're going to essentially vote for you. So if you look at a ballot, it actually says you're voting for electors for candidate A, electors for candidate B. And those electors are usually extreme partisans. They're not taking people off the street. They're not taking somebody who's a moderate kind of undecided voters. These are usually people who have worked in the party, worked in the party infrastructure, part of the party high command. Um, for example, in New York, Hillary Clinton is actually one of them. Um, so the chances of actually changing somebody's vote are extremely slim. There have been a few examples. This has actually happened in 2000, for example. There was a D.C. elector that wanted to show um, her, dis- her indignation by the fact that the District of Columbia um, does not have statehood. So as a result, in the District of Columbia, they do have three electoral votes. She actually, voted, she actually did not vote in that election, so you know, essentially to show that um, her view about D.C. statehood. So there was that example, and there was another example where people have actually made mistakes. For example, someone I think voted for Lloyd Benson in 88, who was the vice presidential nominee, over, instead of Mike Dukakis. Um, so, I mean, this can, it can happen, and certainly... An elector is certainly, you know, if you're, an, if you're a Democratic stalwart and you say, you know what, and you're, in your, and you're in a state and you say, you know what, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump instead, I mean, you can try that, but good luck with the rest of your life. Um, <laughs> certainly, you know, I mean, you're going to have death threats, especially if it gets extremely close, but it is a possibility that somebody could actually change. It's always people say, what if somebody, for example, bribes someone, um, for example, and this happened in 2000 when the election was extremely close. It came down to the state of Florida. And it was actually the full, the final result was 271 to 266. There were, that was taking away that one elector from D.C. So some in the some in the Democratic Party would say, well, if it's going to be this close, what if you, you know, for example, gave somebody under the table, said, we'll give you $2 million if you change your vote. And obviously, if that were to happen, everyone would go to this person and say, you know, you've been a Democratic stalwart all your life. What all of a sudden, why did you become a convert to um, the cause of George W. Bush? And somehow they'd have to explain it. But... Um, the chances of it actually happening are extremely slim. Wow. I, now you just started a, another conspiracy. This could be like a movie where <laughs> this sort of thing goes on behind the scenes. It, it almost seems like it would be one that a lot of people would rush to, at least a movie in the 90s. That's a that's a solid plot point for a movie in the 90s. So I, I wanted to... We've talked about this on the show before, some elections that have actually been overturned. There's been some, you know, instances. It's not something that would happen regularly. But though in the past, there have been instances where elections have been overturned. There have been a few. I mean, this is really slim when this actually happens. 
the probably the one probably the textbook one was back in 1974. There was a Senate race, and the senators um, there was basically there was Republican uh, Louis Wyman, and then there was Democrat John Durkin. This is extremely close. This is 1974. Remember, this is the year. Um, right after Watergate, when, Republi- when Republicans were losing pretty much all over the country, and essentially what happened was the first time they, the first time, the first election around, uh, Wyman was actually declared the winner by 355 votes. So obviously Durkin subsequently asked for a recount. They did the recount, and the recount showed that Durkin had actually won by 10 votes. So then they did another. Then Wyman asked, and they did another recount, and this other recount showed that Wyman was the winner by get this, a measly two votes. Two oh, votes. Whoa. <laughs> so this is out of 223,363 votes cast. The chances of this are astronomically low. So what happened? So finally, um, so finally, uh, so finally, the Senate, so finally they appeal it again to the United States Senate, and the Senate basically is deadlocked. They don't. They, the Senate cannot come up with a solution. So what both candidates agree to do is they agree to have another election so this doesn't just keep going on, keep going on in nauseam. So they have a special election. And this becomes extremely important. First of all, it's an off-year election, so it's going to garner all the focus for the country. Because for anyone who's interested in the election process, it's going to be focused on this. New Hampshire is a small state. It was closed before. This is a retailing state. This is a state where you can go to you know, just about every voter. This is why they have the New Hampshire primary, and you can actually see, you know, you can actually see the candidates up close. So as a result... Um, they actually had that actually they actually made this uh, they actually had Wyman, for example, actually got Gerald Ford. This became this election became a referendum on Gerald Ford, the new president's economic policy. Ford actually participated in a 136 mile motorcade throughout the state. And eventually it was just Wyman going across the street, talking to voters. They knew how important this seat was. And in the in the final analysis, the Democrat Durkin won the special election by about 20, 27,000 votes. And that was wow. how it was decided. Not there were two, two others, though. <laughs> Believe it or That's not, there was, all, there was the first one was 2004. Christy Gregware, the state, the state of Washington, she lost the initial count, then she challenged, and she actually ended up winning. And another interesting one is 2008. This was Al Norm Coleman was a Republican, United States Senator. Al Franken was a Democrat, and the original original tally showed that the Republican Coleman had won. Franken then challenged, and he had decided they decided that Franken had won. And they went through this entire process, and they're going through just about every single ballot. And they actually found this one person who did not, who voted for Franken, but then under the write-in can- category, wrote in the word "lizard people." So, yeah. what's lizard people? It's basically a conspiracy. A coterie of people have that there are people who are that are, there are lizards that are masquerading as human beings that really run the world. This one person wrote that in, and he was doing it because he didn't. He had discussed with both candidates, so he was trying to show that. So the Franken campaign picked up on this. And they, they, they said that this, this vote should have counted because it was not an overvote because the guy did not fill in the oval under the word lizard people, but he did fill in the oval next to <laughs> – this is great – next to uh, Franken. So they challenged it, and it failed. Then Chris Matthews picked up on it. The Wall Street Journal picked up on it. And the guy who actually wrote in the word lizard people came forward and actually had a handwriting sample – and showed that he was the person who wrote who wrote it in. Then he got, um, you know, he got a lot of indignation around a lot of people in Minnesota, particularly Franken people, who said we really needed that vote. But essentially, at the end of the day, Franken went, landed up winning by about 306 votes. And this was a seven-month protracted process. Oh, lizard people! Now you're giving people ideas of things they can write in in the future. I saw that you posted that on your Facebook page. Yes, yes. Now you put that into full context, which I think is so amazing. Uh, Rich Rubino, uh, Polita-Geek.com. You can find him online. You know, I- I'm trying to wonder 
what would happen in the process? So let's say Donald Trump continues to challenge this election after the inauguration day. Let's say Joe Biden sworn into office. The challenges continue forward. And let's say, I mean, we're talking about the slimmest of slim margins, but let's just say there is something that could um, change what would have happened in the voting. Let's say there was massive fraud or something along those lines that they actually were able to prove in court and the courts agreed. Um, after inauguration, anything like that, there, is there any turning back or what would essentially happen at a moment like that? I don't know, but I cannot imagine a scenario where they would actually um, have a legal process and they would actually um, get Joe Biden out of office and put Donald Trump into office. I just cannot imagine that. I think Trump knows that. That's why he's essentially positioning himself for, I think, 2024. I think you could, I mean, if that were to happen and there actually were to be, you know, a, a solid, um, you know, a, sol- a solid airtight case, then obviously Donald Trump could go around the country and say, I was robbed, say, I want to be, re- say, I, say, it's time now to elect me for my third term, I guess you could say, for my rightful uh, 2024 election. Al Gore, for example, back in 2000, so Al Gore, when he was running for, tw- when he was potentially running for 2004, I think his campaign probably would have said something to the effect of reelect Al Gore, because I think most people who supported Al Gore, believed that Al Gore rightfully actually won that election. But Gore chose not to run for re-election and ended up supporting Howard Dean over his own running mate, uh, Joe Lieberman. But, no, I think that if, if Joe Biden does assume the presidency on January 20th, I cannot envisage a scenario where they actually overturn the election and Donald Trump actually assumes the presidency on that day, although he could theoretically come in in 2024 and then run again in 2025. But, you know, if he really if he legitimately believes that the election was rigged, then he's going through the process. He's not going to show the legitimacy of the election by, for example, going to the inauguration of um, of, Joe, of Joe Biden and the traditional transfer of traditional transfer of power. Whereas, for example, in 2000, um, Al Gore, even though he believed the Supreme Court was wrongly decided, it did actually go to the go to the inauguration of George W. Bush. I'm wondering, too, did Al Gore consider running again in 2004? He, oh, he absolutely did. He was the early front runner, And most, a lot of Democrats were staying on the sidelines, thinking that Al Gore was essentially going to run for the presidency that year. He was well ahead. And Joe Lieberman, his running mate in 2000, did, made, said, said that he would not run unless Al Gore did not run for president. And then Al Gore finally just surprised everybody. This was a day after he had been on. He went on Saturday Night Live, and he guest hosted Saturday Night Live the night before. And then this is when he was naked in a hot tub. And then the next day, he announces <laughs> that I'm not running for president in, 20, in 2004. And the, a lot of the country is shocked because that would have been, in many respects, the opportune time for him to do it. He was at the height of his political power. He had basically stayed off the sidelines. He had gone, out, gone back to Tennessee, taught, for, taught, at, taught at Fisk University. But he decided not to. And then to add insult to injury for Lieberman, he later came out when Howard Dean, um, so Howard Dean basically body slammed the political world. He came out of absolutely nowhere as an anti-war candidate and became a front runner. And all of a sudden, Al Gore comes out and endorses Howard Dean without telling Joe Lieberman. And then they asked Joe Lieberman about it, and Joe Lieberman seemed blindsided and said, basically, I have no idea why he would not tell me in advance why he was not going to endorse my candidacy. So he does endorse Howard Dean. And I thought at the time, it's interesting, that he was trying to position himself for 2008 because he thought that George W. Bush was going to win in 2004. So he figured he'd try to um, propitiate or placate the left wing of the Democratic Party by endorsing Howard Dean. So he comes out and endorses Howard Dean. Then by 2008, he's seen as kind of the tribune of the Dean wing of the party, which he'd never been before. He'd always been seen as kind of a moderate or, I guess, a corporatist or whatnot. 
But in 2008, he never ran again. And now we got to the point by 2016, 2020, where no one even basically questions whether he's going to run for president again. I'm trying to Google search. You completely lost me when you said Al Gore naked in a hot tub. Yes, yes. And I'm looking, and I just did a quick search, and there he is sitting in a hot tub, which looks like floating rose petals, and he's got a little cup of champagne. (laughs) And I can't quite tell who the actor he is sitting in the tub with. Is that someone that's pretending to be Bill Clinton? Uh, I believe so. I believe so. I I remember he did this, I think it was like the, the Saturday before he made that announcement. So it was obviously he had some he was he had some sort of a plan and he was going to go out there and he was going to do this. People were going to say Al Gore did that. And the next day he says, you know what, I'm not going to run for president in 2004. And he absolutely shocked a lot of people because almost no one expected him not to do that. But I thought at the time that there was some sort of a long game there. He was actually positioning himself for 2008 because he figured that Bush was going to win in 2004. Then he launches a TV network that ultimately fails. What was that name? I was trying to remember it yesterday. Uh, he was working, oh, uh, I, I don't remember. I know he worked for Apple for a while, and he was working for Google. But I don't remember. Oh, was it True TV? It was, was True TV? Or no. uh, Current TV? Current TV, yes. Cur- you're right, yes. Current TV, yes. Okay, and then that was eventually sold, yeah. All right, well, it's uh, interesting to go back and look at all of these different things that are going on. There's never a dull moment in 2020, and who knows if 2021 is going to be a little bit more tame or not. I have no idea. Do you have any predictions of what could be happening in the next year? Uh, I think we. I think the world will be at will be at a complete peace, and all Americans will finally appreciate every single politician, and there will be bipartisan harmony throughout our land. Yep. And no, not the, really. <laughs> the clue to those things is that the two planets are going to align here right before Christmas, and it's going to change everyone's attitude. And Pluto will be a planet once again. Oh, I 100% agree. Pluto needs to be a planet again. We'll All right, be so, welcome back into our solar system. <laughs> Rich Rubino, you can find his work online, polita-geek.com. You can find him on social media. Do a search for Rich Rubino on there, and he's the author of American Politics on the Rocks. So good to catch up with you. Thanks for coming on to Overnight America. Indeed, the excitement the excitement continues. <laughs> he joins us on the Quiver River Electric Guest Line on Overnight America KMOX. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. And Overnight America is here with you tonight. Always love, 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 love hanging out with Rich Rubino. He does just such a great job explaining things in a way that even I could understand. Uh, A few stories I wanted to get to. There was one on KMOV, but I wanted to mention this real quick because earlier today, I was eating lunch with my son, and we had some macaroni and cheese, just what you would expect a six-year-old to ask for for lunch pretty much every day. Oh, can I have some mac and cheese? Mac and cheese? Yeah, mac and cheese. And he's got such a refined palate that he needs the good stuff. He doesn't want any of the, oh, no, not that stuff. I want the good mac and cheese, you know, the blue box craft, you know, none of this off-brand stuff. I don't know how he tells the difference. Honestly, I can't, but he can. might be more of a mental thing. So I make him some mac and cheese. And in order to make it enough for both of us to eat, I decided to put a little extra elbow macaroni in there, kind of thin out the thin it out. But at the same time, it does make more, which is great. So I make all of this. I make us two bowls of this stuff and I put it on the table and I bring out the Parmesan cheese. 
And I said, do you want to put a little Parmesan cheese on your mac and cheese? And he's like, no, that's not going to taste good. I said, you should try it. So sprinkle a little on a bite. He goes nuts for it. And you know what he tells me? This is the smartest thing we've ever done. And I thought, you know what? Maybe it is. <laughs> Parmesan on mac and cheese. If it's that's enough to impress a six-year-old, then, you know, I've, I've got a lot of opportunities to impress him even more in the future. The bar is set pretty low, but at the same time, it was pretty delicious. I'm sure there's a lot of people that do food hacks all the time, as in you probably add something to a box of food or whatever you're getting it from in order to make it better. Sure, everyone does that in some form or fashion. But I wanted to bring up this other one, too. This is the smartest thing we've ever done. He was so proud. He's like, yes, as he is like a mad inventor inside of like, you know, a scientist inside of a lab somewhere and just found the cure for something. This is the smartest thing we've ever done. Uh, so KMOV did a story on the tiny home community that is going up in North St. Louis. And this is something that is pretty welcome. They did some renderings on it a few months ago. Was it last month? It wasn't actually that long ago that they unveiled this community and they showed it off by bringing press out and they showed some examples of what it'll look like and they open up the door and it's basically a, you know, a, a shed you would see in someone's backyard, but it's painted in a more friendly way. And instead of having a you know barn door or something along those lines that you would you know big door that swings open on these giant hinges, they build it with just your regular door that you would see on a home. Got some windows on this thing, and I think they got a heater unit on the back. I don't know if it's an air and heat. It's some it, To me, it looked like a little air conditioning unit, but being that it is winter, you would think that this would have to be a heating unit or something. But basically, it's just uh, what you would see as a storage shed in a garden or a backyard, something you store the lawnmower in. But you open it up, there's like a tiny desk, and there is a bed. There has to be electricity if they got these units on the, this back window. And it's as simple as that. It's just like a private area. And they put a bunch of these up. And earlier today, you had Mayor Lida Krusen talking about this. It is your own space, a lock on the door. Each one, as I mentioned, will have an address. It'll be unit number one, two, three. It'll be a place that's much better for them than, than being on the street. They do still need some additional work before the residents can move in, but the homes range from 80 to 96 square feet and will serve as transitional housing for residents for about four to five months while caseworkers try to find them permanent shelter. All right. I hope this works. I really I really hope this works. It sounds like they received some funding from the CARES Act, which they were using, uh, you know, the CARES being what uh, the fighting the coronavirus, maybe because the city was responsible in the way they were spending this. They use that in a way to try to improve the situation and ultimately when you have homeless out on the street that's a big potential to spread the coronavirus obviously it's not going to be the most sanitary but think of it this way too i don't think there's plumbing involved in these i, I really don't know how they're going to use the bathroom take a shower things like that but then again it definitely is an upgrade than sitting on the streets and we've had people that have worked you know downtown during the winter and they'll talk about homeless people dying on the street you know, just a couple of years ago, we had that one homeless person that was trying to take shelter inside of a porta john and ended up freezing to death inside of it. There's another time when someone uh, called into the show and was talking about it. I don't know if that was actually confirmed or not, but you do see a lot of times when it gets super cold and the homeless have no place to go. Our shelters are overloaded. We still hassle homeless shelters downtown like Larry Rice's. They just uh, they can't go in. And then you see people hassling others trying to give out food, whatever it may be. At least there is something that they're doing. So you got to give them credit for this. 
Well, it should have been done a long time ago, but at least they're doing something. This is Overnight America KMOX. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 